welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters one through four of Mockingjay, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. The book starts with Katniss returning to the ruins of District 12. It has been destroyed by the Capitol's firebombs, and the surviving citizens have been taken in by District 13. The rebels in 13 want Katniss to be the Mockingjay, acting as the symbol of the growing rebellion, but she isn't sure she wants to or is even able to do it. Peta, who has been captured by the Capitol and not been heard from since, appears on TV doing an interview with Caesar Flickerman. He recounts his experience in the Quell and tells the people of Panem that they should lay down their weapons. When Katniss asks Gale why he thinks Peta said that, Gale suspects that Peta has made some sort of deal with the Capitol to protect Katniss if he agrees to call for a ceasefire. This leads Katniss to realize that she has to become the Mockingjay. She talks to Prim about it, expressing her concern that even if the rebels win, Peta will be punished for what he said. Prim tells her that she is very important to the people of 13 and that she could ask for almost anything and they'd have to do it. Katniss brings her demands to Alma Coyne, the president of District 13, and she reluctantly agrees. She also tells Coyne that she must announce their deal in front of all the citizens of 13. Once Katniss has officially agreed to be the Mockingjay, Plutarch shows her Cinna sketchbook full of uniform designs for her. When they go to retrieve Katniss's prep team, they find them chained up and beaten for stealing some bread. Katniss takes this as a warning from Coyne of what will happen if she steps out of line. As promised, Coyne calls an assembly and announces that the captured victors will be granted immunity after the war, but she adds that if Katniss fails to fulfill her Mockingjay duties, the deal will be off. So, we are now on Mockingjay, obviously. As I have said many, many times, this is my favorite of the books, um, so I'm very excited to get into it. I have so many thoughts about this book, so many amazing scenes, so many things that I want to discuss. Um, but first of all, I would like to take a moment of appreciation for the new intro music. One of my favorite parts about starting a new book is that I get to come up with fun new little intro music for the episodes. Um, so this is our new Mockingjay music. But anyway, let's just get right into it because although a lot of these chapters are kind of exposition in terms of like where we are at now after the quell how things are in district 13 like this is where we start to actually learn about district 13 because when we left off in catching fire it was just like district 13 exists there's a rebellion but that's basically it and now it's like okay we're actually like katniss has been living in 13 the people of 12 have been moved into 13 what's actually going on there and one of the first things we learn about district 13 is that it is extremely strict and this is a conversation that I will have as we go throughout the book. And I'm going to like mainly put it off because I think I can discuss it in more nuance once we're at the end and I'm able to like talk freely about everything that happens in this book. But it is kind of a theme of this book and also like a discussion among people who have read the book of is District 13 just as bad as the Capitol or even worse? And again, I, I don't think that I can really give this topic the nuance that it needs without spoiling things for the rest of the book so I'm going to wait to really discuss it but it is something that I personally keep in mind when I'm reading this book and I think that especially if it's your first time reading is something that you'll find really interesting to think about because right off the bat you would think like obviously District 13 is not as bad as the Capitol that's crazy like the whole point is that they're fighting the Capitol and yes on the surface level that is true um but if you look below that sorry <laughs> that was not a district 13 underground joke it was unintentional um 
But if you look below the surface of District 13, there are definitely some similarities, especially given how controlling 13 actually is. And this is something that Katniss is grappling with right from the start of this book, because obviously she is in a very bad space mentally. This is like literally the most obvious thing that you get from reading these first four chapters is that she's not doing well. And she's not been doing well for like pretty much the entire series. Like that's kind of the point is she's going through a lot of stuff the entire time. But now she's kind of hit this wall of like, she's not in the arena anymore. She's not actively fighting anymore. And so she's kind of left with nothing to do at the moment because they're like, we need you to become the Mockingjay. We need you to help the rebellion. But she's not she's not ready for that yet. And also still hasn't decided what exactly her role in this rebellion is going to be. And it's not because she like doesn't care or she wants the capital to stay in power because we know those things are not true. But they're asking a lot of her. And she spent the last two years basically getting dragged around and dressed up and told to say this or do that. And that is very draining, obviously. Um, So she's kind of at this point where she's like in this waiting period of she hasn't decided what she's going to do yet and things are kind of falling apart for her. And so she's kind of stuck in this like, what do I do? What am I going to do now? And that's the big question she keeps repeating to herself in these first few chapters is like, what do I do next? But on top of that, she is harboring a lot of guilt for everything that has happened because she still views the situation as if I had just died in the first games like the capital wanted, all the people that have been killed since then for this rebellion would not have died. So she blames herself for everything. Like when she's walking around District 12, she's blaming herself for every person who has died there. And this is something she's been doing since the very beginning. We know that she will blame herself for the things that happen to other people, even if it's something that she could never have prevented. But what she doesn't realize yet, and what is extremely hard for her to realize given the circumstances, is what how much she's given to the people of Panem and how much she's done for them. And specifically, she has given them hope. Because I think something I love so much about this series, and I was actually just seeing like conversations about this happening on Twitter. Um, I think I even retweeted the tweet it was from. I don't remember exactly what it was or who said it, but it was really good. So if you go look for that, I'm sure you'll find it. About how the thing that sets Katniss as a protagonist apart from a lot of these other like YA dystopian novels that, and I'm not saying, I know there are some people that are like, oh, every other like YA dystopian series was just copying The Hunger Games. And I don't think that's true. I definitely think there are a few that I'm like, eh, it feels like you were kind of trying to be The Hunger Games and didn't succeed. But I think that what is so great about The Hunger Games that some other series didn't necessarily get is that Katniss never wanted to be a hero. She never wanted to be the symbol of this rebellion and in many ways is just a 17-year-old girl at this point. She, as a result of her circumstance, has become this sort of like almost mythical figure to the people of Panem. But really, she was just trying to stay alive and keep Peta alive and keep her family alive. But now people have viewed all her actions as acts of rebellion. And some of them were intentionally and some of them weren't. And that's, there's a lot of variety there. There's a lot of discussion to be had there. But the point is, she didn't try to start this. It was never her goal, but now she's in it. And this entire time, people are wanting to use her for this reason or that. And it's not just the capital, because we know that 
obviously originally the capital uses her as a tribute and then they sort of want to use her to like tamp down the growing rebellion that she inadvertently started with the berries in the first games and so then they were bringing her back out and having her play this whole romance with Peta, and and then obviously the quarter quell again they were throwing her back in the arena but now she's in district 13 and initially you think oh this is great she's like outside the reach of the capital she's with rebels who really look up to and admire her and like respect what she has done and now are here to help her but it starts to become clear pretty quickly that they also want to use her and again this goes back to the like is district 13 really that much better than the capital thing that i said i wasn't going to get into but i do think we can see very clearly that like there are people in district 13 including people like in the leadership of district 13 who are still just using her as like a piece in their game and it's obviously in a very different way than the capital was doing so but it, it's still they're like, okay, now you're going to wear this new uniform and you're going to stand here and you're going to say this. Like, it's a lot of the same stuff, especially to her, where she's just kind of getting thrown around in all this and she hasn't had time to actually process the things that have happened to her and try to find some sense of recovery. She's never given the time to do that until she's thrown right back into something else. And again, she's only 17 and they're placing all of this on her shoulders. Like, yes, there are people in 13 who are orchestrating this whole thing, who are military leaders, who are political leaders, who will be there with her. But the reality is, if she becomes the Mockingjay, she's going to be the face that everyone in Panem knows and associates with the rebellion. Because the people in 13 are obviously very behind the scenes. Like, no one even knew they were out there until very, very recently. She's going to be the one that everyone looks to. And she's only a 17-year-old. And she's not, she doesn't have experience in, like, leading an army or starting a rebellion or like giving speeches to people that are going to inspire them to fight because she is literally just a girl who got caught up in this but now we're at a place where people are looking to her and so she's forced to be confronted with well what am I going to do about it am I going to hide myself away am I going to become the Mockingjay and obviously the result she comes to is she's going to become the Mockingjay and it is Pita's interview that is like the thing that kind of forces her to make that decision or not forces her but like kind of opens her eyes to the situation and and she realizes that there's really only one possible outcome for her and it comes from a place of she's like no we cannot there can't be a ceasefire because if we stand down now where does that leave us worse off than we were before so it's too late to like stop things which means that they have to fight and she's gonna have to be the Mockingjay. And it is sort of a, just like an obligation of like, it, I have to do this for the rebellion, but also she wants to help. She wants the rebels to win. She doesn't want the capital to stay in power. We know she doesn't like the capital. We know she hates Snow more than probably just about anyone. And so this is the moment where it kind of clicks for her. In terms of PETA's actual interview though let's talk about that because it is very controversial among the people of District 13 because he does ask people to lay down their weapons and stop this fight before there is any more unnecessary bloodshed and I love what Katniss and Gail talk about with it afterwards um where they basically realize that like obviously he's made some sort of deal because we know from reading the series and Katniss knows just from knowing him that PETA also doesn't like the capital um he also 
would be in support of this rebellion. Like we we know that about him. We know that he hates the capital just as much as anyone else. So there's obviously got to be another reason for why he's saying that. And the first logical conclusion would be like they tortured him into saying it because that's what the capital does to people. But there's no obvious signs of that. So what they realize is that he must have made some sort of deal to protect Katniss. And Katniss basically realizes that like he's still playing the capital's game. I think the actual line she says is like the games are still on or something like that. So he's still caught up in this game that they've been caught up in since literally the day that they got or that for PETA that he got his name drawn at the reaping and for Katniss when she volunteered and he's still playing it and he's still making deals and he's still doing what he set out to do from the very beginning, which is to keep her alive any way he knows how. But the reason why they need PETA, why the Capitol needs PETA to do this is because we know that PETA is an incredibly good speaker and people will listen to him. He has the power to move people with his words in a way that very few other people have. So if President Snow comes on the television and is like, hey, rebels, you should stop fighting me. Who is actually going to listen to that? Like anyone that is already supporting or considering supporting the rebellion is not going to be swayed by that. But we have people who are still hesitant to join. And so if they hear PETA telling them that there has to be a ceasefire, they're going to listen. Because the exact line from the book is something about how, like, it sounds so much more reasonable coming out of PETA's mouth than it would coming out of President Snow's. And the Capitol knows that. And so that is why they're using him in this particular way. Um, And they know that he would literally do anything to save Katniss. And that that has always been his goal. And so they are exploiting that to get him to say and do what they want. As for District 13 as a whole, there are some very interesting things we learn about it. And I think that the history of District 13 is one of the most interesting things in the series. Dating all the way back to the dark days. Because what was thought to have happened was the Capitol destroyed District 13 after the war. Or like towards the end of the war, basically as like a show of strength and to get the other districts in line quickly. But what actually happened is that District 13 was responsible for producing the Capitol's nuclear weaponry. So they have a bunch of nuclear weapons that they could use on the Capitol. The Capitol has nuclear weapons that they could use on 13. But if the Capitol used nuclear weapons on 13, 13 would just use theirs and then long story short the entire country would get destroyed i mean the the concept of like nuclear warfare is something that i'm sure we are all familiar with and there's really no way in which it ends without everything getting destroyed so they basically came to an agreement which was that district 13 would sort of lay low play dead move underground pretend to be gone pretend to be wiped out and the capital would leave them alone which is obviously very different from the capital blew up the district, but they happened to survive because there was like an actual deal made here, which I think is important to note. But also, we can assume that the capital probably thought, okay, yeah, the people of District 13 are going to move underground and then they're going to die off because there's no way they're going to be able to sustain themselves. And when Katniss realizes this, she actually starts to give the people of 13 credit for being able to survive this long completely on their own. And that is a big part of why their rules and systems are so strict because they have had to provide for themselves. So like we know they're very strict about like food portions, like everyone gets exactly how much food they need to survive and be healthy enough to fight or do whatever other job they've been assigned to, but never more than that. 
And everything is so regulated because they have it down to a science of how they can control their resources. But the problem with that is people need more than just the exact right amount of food and water and shelter to actually live. Like the, you can survive off of those things, yes, but what kind of quality of life is that? And that is where we like get into are the systems in District 13 actually helping their citizens or hurting them? And yes, it's kept them alive for this long, but we're going to see the issues that have arisen as we go through this book. And we're already starting to see them. And I think the most glaring thing in these chapters about like District 13's rules and systems and their negative impacts is what we find out what happens to Katniss's prep team. Um, because they go to find her prep team and they find them literally like chained up and basically are told like, well, they stole bread and like multiple times tried to steal food. And the prep team is basically like, well, we didn't know because like we're brand new here. No one told us like how strict things are, but also like putting aside like who knew what, who did what, this is the kind of treatment they're receiving for literally stealing like some bread. And Katniss draws the parallel to what happened to Gail for, like, hunting illegally in 12. And it's such a similar, like, offense and a similar punishment, but one was inflicted by the Capitol and the Peacekeepers, and the other was inflicted by President Coyne and District 13. And trust me, I will have one billion things to say about President Coyne as this novel goes on. I think that she is such a such a well-written character first of all and she like is a character that I never expected to exist in this series when I first started reading it because I and I'm sure many other people have the same experience kind of went into this thinking it's just going to be like a straightforward rebellion story where like there's this secret group of rebels in district 13 and then Katniss comes along and then they're able to like rally the districts and defeat the capital and it is that in a lot of ways. But it's not straightforward because District 13 is not just a group of underground rebels who are going to rise up and destroy the capital. They have a lot of their own stuff going on and a lot of that starts with Coin and how she is running her district and who she is as a person. And I so I think that introducing her as a character kind of flips everything on its head in terms of like how things are going to go down and creates some of the most like genuinely like plot twists crazy plot twists like moments that shocked me as a reader come from her her influence on the plot and the narrative um but we'll get into all of that although the one thing I do want to say here about coin is that one of Katniss's demands is that she gets to kill President Snow and when she tells coin this coin says to her when the time comes I'll flip you for it and I just I, I love that one line from Coin so much because I think about it as we know why Katniss hates snow. I don't need to sit here and list the reasons. We all know. And you could it's easy to think like, oh, Coin would hate snow because he's literally terrible. Like it's not hard to come up with a reason why someone would hate President Snow, especially someone from the districts. But Coin doesn't have the personal experience with President Snow that Katniss has because she and she doesn't even have the experience with the capital that Katniss has because she's able to know what the capital has been doing in the districts because District 13 actually has access to that information, unlike most of the other districts. 
And they've been developing this underground network for literally the past 75 years. But she wasn't alive during the first war. And so her entire life has been in this new District 13, where everything is underground and they're completely cut off from the Capitol and the Capitol doesn't bother them. So although she is aware of it, she doesn't have the personal experience with it that someone like Katniss does have. And Katniss is obviously an extreme example because like President Snow literally came to her home and threatened her personally. Um, But even like someone from District 12, although they might never have had like a personal encounter with President Snow, they are the ones feeling the impacts of what he has done every single day. And that's not to say that the people of 13 don't feel that because we know that they are also suffering and they have had to overcome a lot in the past 75 years. I mean, the big example is they mentioned they had this like pox epidemic that killed a lot of their people, made a lot of them infertile. So it's, it really like reduced their population. Um, And it was very difficult for them to survive without any outside aid and stuff like that. So they have obviously suffered a lot in their own ways. And it is all indirectly because of them having to go underground. So the Capitol didn't literally destroy them. But like the actual day-to-day impacts of the Capitol and the other districts are not the things that District 13 is experiencing. And I think that while Coyne may have her problems with Snow on a level of like the way that he is treating the other districts, the biggest reason why she does not, why she wants to kill him personally is because he is in power and she is not. And regardless of what the differences or similarities in how they would rule Panem would be, the reality is that he's the president of Panem and she's not, and she very clearly wants to be. You can tell that from the first page she's introduced on, where she's the president of 13. She's like, in many ways, the leader of this rebellion. Katniss will become sort of like the figure that the people of Panem see, but she's the one who's actually calling the shots. And that becomes very, very clear in the scene where Katniss brings her demands to Coin, and Coin is basically like, no. Eventually she does agree to them, um, but it takes some convincing and she is very clearly the one who gets to make the final call. So she likes to be in control. She likes having power. And I think that that is true of a lot of people, of a lot of characters, but the way that she wants to keep and even expand her power is what is concerning. and. When she said, when she makes clear to Katniss that she wants to be the one who kills Snow, it's not because, in the way that Katniss does, Katniss wants to sort of like get revenge for all the people that Snow has hurt or killed in her life, particularly, but also just like in the country, especially because she feels that she bears some of the responsibility for it. And also to be the one to kind of put it to an end and like bring herself back to feeling safety. Coin wants to kill Snow because she wants to be in control. And those are very, very different things. And I don't need to sit here and tell you what the problem is with Coin's mindset there. I think that you can figure it out for yourself. So that's where her character is very interesting, but is also going to be a problem <laughs> going forward. Switching gears a little bit, I do have to briefly mention Senna because... After Katniss has agreed to become the Mockingjay and she's given all her demands, they've agreed to them, Plutarch gives her Cinna's sketchbook, which basically has designs for her like Mockingjay uniform that he had come up with, obviously, before the Quell because 
he died, um, unfortunately. Still sad about it. And also, this is kind of the con- moment that confirms, like, he is actually dead. Um, not that there was much doubt there, but, you know, now we know. But he very clearly wanted Katniss to become the Mockingjay. And this actually helps Katniss find some comfort in her decision. Because while she has decided this is what she has to do, she's still unsure of it. But she basically is like, if Cinna wanted this, then it must be the right call. Because she trusts him so deeply. And she knows what kind of person he is. So if he believed in this rebellion and wanted her to be the Mockingjay, she wants to do that too. And I just think that like that amount of trust between them and the way that she is willing to like follow him even though he's no longer around. And I also think it's it's huge in terms of his character that he specifically asked Plutarch not to show her the sketchbook until she decided to be the Mockingjay on her own because he didn't want to be the one to push her to that decision because he knew that if she saw that sketchbook and knew that that's what he wanted, she would be like, oh, Sina wants this, I should do it because I trust him. He wanted her to make the decision on her own and then basically provide her with the reassurance that he thinks she's making the right call, which is huge for her given her relationship to him. And she already knew he believed in the cause. I mean, like he literally died for it. She knew that he was not an idiot, that he knew by putting her on stage in that Mockingjay dress at her interview, it was going to have consequences for him and likely he would be executed for it. He knew all of that and she knew he knew all of that. But like the extent to which he was involved and had planned for her to be the Mockingjay was not known to her until this moment when she gets this sketchbook from Plutarch. And Plutarch actually says there were a lot of moments where he wanted to give it to her, to show it to her, to like help her make the decision. But he he managed to like hold back. And Plutarch is such an interesting character, let me tell you right now. Um, but I didn't really like get that until much later in this book. I thought that I I was interested to see where his character would go for sure, especially, I mean, right from the first meeting that they have where he like shows her the watch and you're kind of like, what's this guy's deal? Um, And then you find out that he's a part of the rebellion and you kind of want to know more. But I think that he's so interesting beyond the level of just like, he's a head game maker turned rebel, which is an inherently interesting storyline anyway, because you wonder kind of how he got there. But I think like on a personal level, he is a very interesting character, especially to me in particular. Um, but I didn't really get that until later in this book. Um, so it's definitely something I'll come back to. And he's also kind of a tough character to figure out because you aren't really sure if he falls on the side of like, he's just here because he wants power or he actually does believe in the cause, but he's still willing to like use Katniss to get there no matter what the cost to her is or does he actually care about her is something that kind of you flip back and forth on and and you don't really get a clear picture of until closer to the end of the book. I also want to talk about Prim um, because she's just so great and her character where she starts out in this book makes me very emotional because when we first meet her in the series she's This little girl who is so afraid and so gentle. And I don't think that she loses that sort of like gentle spirit that she has. And like, especially with her being such a good healer and wanting to become a doctor and all of that, she doesn't lose those things. 
but in terms of the like fear and almost innocence that she has at the beginning of the series that kind of side of her is gone and she has now grown into she's matured so much and it's sad because she's still only a 14 year old she's still incredibly young she might actually be 13 at the start of this book now that I'm thinking about it but anyway the point is she's very very young but she has been forced to grow and mature very quickly in a very similar way that Katniss did like by the time Katniss was 11 years old she was providing for her whole family and she did a lot of that so that Prim could sort of remain a child even though it is very hard in the circumstances that they lived under she wanted her to maintain that childhood as long as she could and now she's realizing that it's kind of too late for that and Prim has been forced to grow up too quickly like so many of the people in Panem have and it's sort of like she kind of has to mourn that almost like she this is not what she wanted for Prim. And although she is so, she admires the person that Prim is becoming so much and so deeply, it's still hard for her to see how much Prim has changed and know that like she tried to help her not have to do that, but it happened anyway. But the flip side of that is that Prim is now a person that she can really confide in and who can really help her in a way that she couldn't before. And so their relationship really deepens in this book because of that, but it is also like a trade-off of she had to grow up so fast. And now we're at the point where like you can't take that back. You know who else is in these chapters who we've been talking about a lot recently, um, and I'm gonna keep it up, is Finnick O'Dare. Very, very different from when we last saw him. And if you listened to my Finnick O'Dare episode, I talked about this there. But if you didn't, I will talk about it a little more. Um, he's also doing very poorly right now. Isn't literally everyone. Um, but the reason it's so jarring with him is because when we first meet him, he's like one of the most loved people in all of Panem. He is so handsome, so charming. Nothing seems to phase him. Everyone's in love with him. And that is so different from the man that he is now. Because the capital has Annie and he doesn't really know how to deal with that because she's at this point the one person in the world that he loves because he had mags and she's gone and that like there are other people that he cares about sure but he doesn't love anyone as deeply as he loves Annie and now she's in the hands of the capital and again it's like a he blames himself for that situation and so he is doing very terribly and is having sort of like a recovery sort of journey of his own much in the same way that Katniss says and by that I mean that he's not really being able to recover in the way that he needs to and he's also like the the people of 13 would love to also turn him into like a rebellion symbol leader because people know him and, and love him and would follow him and he could also be like a compelling voice for the rebellion but he can't do that because he's too busy worrying about Annie and it's similar to Katniss and it will become even more so for her later on of like she's worrying so much about PETA that it's hard for her to think about anything else. And it's just that like seeing him, even though he is in the Capitol, even though he's saying things that she knows are going to have consequences for him, he's still alive and seems to be physically unharmed. And that is more than she could have hoped for at this point. So she feels a lot of like joy at at seeing him um and relief and just like 
at least you're alive, at least you're not hurt. And like, maybe there's a chance that I could get you back or that we could do something to help you. And so she does have a moment where she experiences that sort of like intense joy at just seeing him alive. And it's one of my favorite lines where she's like, I don't care basically what he says or who he says it for, just so long as he's still able to speak. And that she's going to have to kind of grapple with like what he said, what he's done, how are we going to get him back? He's still in the Capitol. Like it's still not great, obviously, but it's better than it was the day before when no one had even heard from him since he had been taken and she didn't even know if he was still out there. Another sad thing that we learn in this section is that Madge is probably not alive anymore. Um, which is sad because one, we all love Madge, like literally who doesn't love her, but also Candace doesn't really have a lot of friends right now. <laughs> and by that, I mean, there's like basically no one. She has Gail, but one, we know how I feel like Gail. And two, this is when her and Gail's relationship starts to really deteriorate. They were already having some issues and catching fire. But now when it's like he's the one person she has to confide in outside of like her family. And even that is kind of she doesn't like she doesn't want to tell her mother about this stuff because she knows there's only so much she can handle. And also she obviously doesn't want to burden Prim with all of it because Prim is still very young. And even though I talked about like her maturing and and her being a better person for Katniss to confide in now than she would have been before. It's still, there's only so much Katniss wants to talk to her about. Because she knows she'll want to help, and she doesn't want her to have to feel responsible for that. So Gail is basically the main person that she's confiding in. Because she is going to start to get closer with Finnick as things go on. But right now, he is also doing pretty poorly. And she's still, like, a little upset with him and not really trusting him because of everything that happened in the Quell. But her and Gail are starting to disagree a lot more because it just they just have different outlooks on the world. And it is possible to maintain a close relationship with someone who you who you disagree with on things, but in their case it becomes so divisive that they can't even have a conversation without arguing on top of the whole like he's still like hey I'm hey I'm in love with you. Hey, can you like be in love with me? <sighs> Literally shut up. I hate you. Anyway, sorry. He just makes me so angry all the time. But yeah, Madge would have been someone that Katniss could at least call a friend and she's no longer around. Peta's obviously in the capital. The last person that she would be able to confide in is Hamish, but she kind of actually like hates him at the moment um, because she feels so betrayed by him. And so does Peta, by the way. Peta says on TV that he's upset with Hamish. And again, everything he's saying on there is kind of like, not exactly what he's thinking because of all these deals he's probably made and whatever circumstances of him doing this interview are in the first place but we can gather that he also feels a little betrayed because he was very similar to Katniss of like me and Hamish made this deal and he didn't tell me everything and, and now look what happened obviously Katniss feels the betrayal a bit more deeply because she has that extra level of like me and Hamish are supposed to be similar we're supposed to understand each other we're supposed to always be on the same page and I really did trust him and now look where we are. The worst part about these chapters is that Hamish isn't in them. But don't worry. He'll be back soon. Because we haven't even gotten to some of his best moments yet and I'm so excited. But yeah, don't worry. We'll we'll get back to them because obviously things are not going to be left like this between him and Katniss. 
thank God, because I don't know what I would do if they were. So I'll have a lot to say about that. But worth noting that he's not here. And so I had to find some way to bring him up um, because I think that I'm actually like legally obligated to talk about him at least once in every episode. But now we end chapter four. Katniss has agreed to become the Mockingjay. And Coin in that assembly is basically like, also, by the way, if Katniss doesn't do what she says she'll do, we're going to like terminate the victor's immunity, aka PETA will probably be executed for saying what he said on TV. So it's it's literally, I was about to say it's basically like a threat to Katniss. It's not basically, it like literally is. And she is very well aware of that fact. And again, it's like coin, girly, Katniss is a 17 year old girl and you're literally like threatening her and you're mad at her. All she asked for, I mean, she asked for like, can we keep our cat? Can me and Gail go hunting? That kind of stuff. But her biggest ask was like, can you maybe not like literally punish or execute PETA, also a 17-year-old, for saying something on TV that he very clearly, like, was either coerced into saying or threatened or made some deal to protect me, whatever. Like, maybe we shouldn't be punishing him for that. Just a thought. And Coin is like, I have an issue with this. So I think we're starting to see a pattern that Coin maybe is not the greatest person shocking information I'm sure but yeah like the fact that she's taking such an issue with things like that deeply concerning it's giving President Snow and we will trust me we will talk about the very very obvious parallels between Snow and Coin I do I am actually obligated to bring up and I don't actually know if this has ever been confirmed by Suzanne Collins because she doesn't do a ton of like interviews and stuff like that she kind of just keeps to herself as she should I have so much respect for her and I truly admire her for that however I do have a lot of questions so once again Suzanne Collins if you're out there and would like to like grab coffee with me and answer some questions that would be great anyway um I'm joking but also like I'm literally not my emails in the notes of the episode please contact me but I, I I've seen a lot of people saying this and I also have the same thought is that coins name is coin because it's like two sides of the same coin which, like, literally, when I first realized that, my mind was blown. So, if this is the first time you're hearing that and you also are having an intense reaction to it the way that I did, I'm happy that I could be the one to provide that for you. Um, but, yeah, the, like, snow and coin, like, parallels and contrasts, I could literally write essays about. It's so fascinating to me. Um, and it's a big part of why, like, it like I, I think that Snow is obviously a very well-written character for what he's supposed to be, especially in like the original trilogy of books. But I don't think that he would be a character that was particularly like interesting for me to think about or want to know more about if it weren't for the way that he contrasts with Coin and is like mirrored off of her. And so I think that that kind of dynamic between the two of them is a big part of why I really enjoy Ballad because I think about it from that perspective, not just from the perspective of like, okay, yes, he's the future evil leader of Panem. Next question. Like, I I think that, again, it goes back to like, I think that introducing a character like Coin is absolutely genius um, in so many ways, more than just like wanting to talk about her character for literally hours and how interesting she is. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters five through nine of Mockingjay. 
If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week. Thank you.